0: Well, good morning, friends. Good to be with you here again this morning. Thank you, Daniel, for leading us so beautifully um, in our focused prayer time this morning. As we were going through our worship time, I just couldn't help thinking of how comfortable and and beautiful it is to come and worship here on a cold Sunday morning, although it has been colder. And I was thinking of the, the great range of people who are responsible for preparing uh, the sanctuary, the worship area, um, so that we can come and sit in comfort. There must be some person who comes very early in the morning, probably while it's still dark, to turn the heaters on. I've got no idea who that person is, but we really appreciate your service in that way. And there are so many, many people um, who work behind the scenes, some up front, like our worship team this morning, And Peter, where are you? Um, Welcome back to Peter. I did ask ask him uh, before as we were in the prayer room whether he still speaks English um, because Peter's come all the way from Paris just to be with us this morning. We really appreciate that, Peter. It's a long way. But that's what you call commitment and it's been noted, so thank you very much. But folk, there are so many people who work behind the scenes to make it possible for us to worship comfortably um, in this beautiful space that's been dedicated to the lord so many people who work behind the scenes um, on committees on in ministry leadership and so it could go on and I think it's just a lovely thing to acknowledge the contributions they make they don't ask for our applause but why don't we give them some this morning <clears throat> It's just a lovely way to say thank you. And as Daniel was leading us in our prayer, just being reminded that during this interim period, it's a great opportunity for people who feel, you folk who feel that there's something not happening in the church and you think you could probably do it. It's a great opportunity when there's a kind of a a relaxation of the visible leadership for other people to step up and become part of the team. And if you ever feel inclined to do that, then just speak to one of the deacons. You'll probably be bowled over with great delight, but take that risk because it's good to be involved and to find a slot where you can use your gifts to to serve the Lord. So do be encouraged, all those who are exercising leadership in some way or another. Um, I'm impressed with Rod, I don't want to embarrass Rod, but I think, has he gone already, has he? (laughs) He was down there, but he's... Anyway, Rod, I think every time he comes up onto the platform, he's wearing a different hat. I don't know where he keeps all the hats, (laughs) but let me say, Rod is doing a magnificent role on our behalf in leading the deacons through a maze of issues which are being very carefully and prayerfully attended to. And you are being well served by his leadership, particularly while Lee is sunning himself up in Queensland. But we keep reminding him that the moment of reality will strike (laughs) when he comes back to Melbourne and discovers what we've been coping with over the last few weeks. But friends, enough of that. Enough of all of that. We're continuing our readings in the first letter of Peter and if you've got a Bible or a screen in front of you, um, turn to chapter 2 with me, 1 Peter chapter 2 and we're picking up our readings from verse 13 going over into chapter 3 down to verse 9. So 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake To every authority instituted among men, and that includes women as well, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men and women, I think. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because he's conscious of God. But how is it, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle, and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him a master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, your turn. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic Love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Those last words are familiar, aren't they? They were the words that we looked at last week. Last week we had a number of words from Scripture... <clears throat> Excuse me. in this beautiful letter of Peter to encourage us members of this congregation during this journey um, this interim journey um, probably hard for you to remember all those words this morning things are a lot easier for you there's only one word for you to remember guess what it is submission now as I was reading through these words I couldn't help thinking that there are lot of wonderful words in this letter that instruct inform us inspire us in our following of Jesus with Peter and I suddenly thought what a good idea to give you a lovely little devotional exercise so here it is up on the screen for you read first Peter at your leisure take one chapter a day this week and you'll have it finished by next Sunday Read one, Peter, select every word Peter uses to exalt Jesus. That could be day one for you. Then the second task. Now select every word Peter uses to instruct us to live like Jesus. So the first lot of words about Jesus, the second lot of words about us in our following of Jesus then the third thing attach your list to the mirror in your bathroom for your daily reminder now I've done chapters one two and three and I think I'm going to have to put a bigger mirror in our bathroom there are a lot of words and you will be encouraged and surprised but in these verses um, and you probably picked it up as we looked at the scripture this morning there are three specific case studies to which Peter applies the word submission. Now, I don't make any apologies for reminding you of this word because it's scriptural, submission. It's not a particularly cool word. It's not a word that many modern people use these days because it has overtones of bondage or repression or harshness or control, none of which is particularly attractive and easy for us to bear. But as we put this word submission into the context in which we've read it this morning, it, it throws up many different um, colours and meanings for it. It's a difficult word to translate and to fully understand in its own New Testament context. And I've got to say, it's been a fairly difficult task for me to understand and apply it to our context as well. So I hope you'll have... Um, a bit of patience with me as we work through it together. It certainly is not um, a condition of mindless capitulation to any ruler or authority without qualification, good or bad. On the other hand, it's, it's an expression of willing compliance to governance and to our role Servanthood. Ultimately, our submission to leaders flows out of our submission to God, our Creator. And we're reminded of that in the very first scripture we read. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. That's where it all starts. Our submission beneath the fatherhood of God and the Lordship of Christ. And this is our base position. This is how and how we live flows out of our fundamental relationship with God, our Father. From our faith basis, we also have scope to influence how people in authority exercise their power over us. Now, sometimes there's a limit to that. So, for example, this week when I had to go to the post office and pay my um, traffic infringement, Um, being in church is always a good place for confession isn't it I've done that that's over I think the pain isn't quite gone it'll still linger a bit but I was really not in a position there to influence the constabulary who inflicted that harsh penalty on my driving infringement it wasn't dangerous driving I can assure you of that but that's my defensive mechanism coming out isn't it But all of this puts us in some kind of awkward bind. On the one hand, we've got to play out our submission. On the other hand, we've got to try and use our position as Christians to bring some element of witness and gospel hope into the process. So we ask ourselves, are we free to reject authority when it contradicts the teachings and the principles of Scripture? Now, you'll remember that Peter himself faced that situation. when, um, Soon after the day of Pentecost, um, a crippled man came along. Peter spoke to him, and in the power of Jesus, he was healed. And he went on and preached, and very quickly there was a great crowd of people who gathered. You can read this later in Acts chapter 3 and 4. And the authorities were really uptight about these crowds of people who were listening to preaching about a person who had only just been put to death on the cross. So Peter and the apostles were confronted and they were told not to preach in the name of Jesus. And Peter replied by saying, whether you think it is right for us to fear God or fear man, you people be the judge. As far as I'm concerned, I cannot help but speak the words of Jesus my saviour good answer so peter himself was grappling with this issue of submitting to the leadership but retaining the freedom to be a clear witness for the gospel of jesus and friends that's been the awkward bind of christians for 20 centuries and it still is today even in our country not so much But in many other countries of the world where Christians live under repressive, controlling, anti-Christian leadership. You remember Jesus himself grappled with this. Remember the occasion when he said to the crowd, when they tried to trick him, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. But then, less than a generation later, when cruel, harsh Caesars came to the throne of Rome, everybody was expected once a year at a big ceremony to bow the knee and chant the words, Caesar is Lord. What was the response of the Christians? Do they submit to the leadership? or do they retain their freedom under God to do what they believe is right? We know what the Christians did. They refused to do that. They would not bow the knee to Caesar and declare that Caesar was Lord. As a result, cruel emperors like Nero, probably under whom Peter, soon after writing these letters, was put to death. Nero had numerous Hundreds of believers executed. One of them was the bishop of a little town called Smyrna. <clears throat> and you'll remember Smyrna, one of the letters, one of the, 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 the place to which one of the seven letters in the Revelation was directed to. These days, Smyrna is a thriving metropolis called Izmir on the, on the coast of the Aegean Sea on the west coast of Turkey and the Roman the Roman authorities, the soldiers, came to Polycarp, famous story, a well-known and, and well-loved bishop at the age of 77 and they tried to encourage, even coerce, even to force Polycarp the bishop to recant his faith in Jesus Christ and he made a beautiful statement which is recorded in the annals of church history where he said for 77 years i have been a follower of jesus and not once has this jesus been unfaithful to me and let me down how can i at this point in my life and recant my faith in christ i will not do it polycarp was burned at the stake in the year 155 AD. Coming down more into into modern times, William Wilberforce in the 18th century, after he became a Christian, had to wrestle with his own conscience about the thriving slave trade. You know all about that. And how William Wilberforce, all the years of his life, pumped passionate energy into the House of Westminster in London, to get England to, re- to reverse its rules and its legislation about the slave trade. He worked tirelessly. It affected his health. Finally, the passage went through the House of Parliament in the year... I forget. <laughs> doesn't matter. Three days later, Wilberforce died, a weak man after the struggle of his life. You know the story of Martin Luther King. He submitted to the leadership in America, but he couldn't live with his own conscience if he didn't campaign against the injustices being meted out to the African-American people in America, struggling for their rights as individuals, as humans. And as you know, he was, he was shot during that campaign. In our own country, right at the moment, we've got an Australian lady who's preparing to appear in the high court of our land claiming the right to speak out against abortion, just claiming the right of freedom of speech. Can you believe it? That case is going all the way up to the high court. And it's being objected to, being fought against by all of the QCs and the legal minds right across our country. I have to ask myself, what are we coming to when we've got to make that kind of statement to appeal for freedom of speech? And so there are many, many other cases. So friends, it's still a live issue for followers of Jesus in our own modern world. And I believe every one of you, and I do, have to grapple with the tension that that scripture brings to us this morning. In our Western democracies, generally we have the right to influence legislators towards justice for all people. And I believe that that is a necessary and a very legitimate course of action for Christians to take. But before we do any of that, we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake because that's what our scripture teaches us to do, to expose evil and to commend justice. And so, friends, I think clearly the scripture is saying to us, live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. That's the point. Fear God. Live under the jurisdiction of God our Father. Honour the King. So there's our first one. I'm sorry, it's taken a bit of time. The second two shouldn't take quite as long as that. But friends, it's, it's a tricky issue. As we take seriously our role in 2018 in our modern world of living as informed, honourable followers of Jesus with honesty, with transparency, with integrity, and with the commitment, our commitment to the Word of God. So there we are. Submit yourself as as a good citizen. The second section calls us to submit ourselves as Christians where we study and where we work. Talking about slaves in this context, and immediately you hear the word slaves, you cringe and say, what a dreadful time that must have been. I won't expand on the issue that, do you realise in our day and age in 2018, there are many, many more slaves being ill-treated across our world than there ever have been in the past. Slavery is not a dead issue, but that's another issue for another time. But in this context, slaves were generally household servants. The word used here suggests that. A little bit like the converted Onesimus. familiar with the letter in the New Testament Onesimus when you get home you read it he was a slave he was converted and on his behalf Paul wrote back to his master and requested that his master treat this new Christian servant Onesimus with great care and Christian charity true some slaves were treated harshly most were treated honorably some could even work hard and save up in order to purchase their own freedom. But whether a household servant had a harsh master or a just master, all were called to submit to them. And this principle still stands today. Whoever is our principal employer, I've got to say here at Kilside South, I've got a very kind one, Whoever is our principal employer, whether just or corrupt, we are called to display Christian integrity, honesty, transparency, accountability, submission, be a good witness and be seen as those who do good. Where there are issues of bullying and abuse in the workplace, I believe that our our call to show compassion, compassion, And care quickly springs into action. Did you see that dreadful scene on the news the other night where those girls in the schoolyard were bashing into each other and one pulling another by the hair? It, It was a horrendous scene. Little wonder my daughter and her husband never have the news on at night time, at tea time, when it's family time. For our little grandchildren to have seen that horrible scene of brutality being presented during family time is just horrendous. Friends, the whole issue of bullying, and I think I've referred to it in the past, we've got a neighbour up the street from us who's spent 10 years under medical and psychiatric care in and out of the courts because she she was bullied in the workplace. And it's damaged her incredibly. It's a cruel issue in our schools and in the workplace, in our neighbourhoods. And I believe that we as Christians, churches, leaders in commerce and industry and education ought to be doing all that's possible to bring a new spirit into those places where human relationships need to be lived out on a higher level where there are issues of corruption and criminal activity and that kind of thing. Fortunately, in a country like ours, we trust and we hope that our legislation, our laws, will kick in. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to work and live as Christ-honouring people, to model a different way of life. To show how as human beings we can live together. We can love each other. We can care for each other. We can be accountable to each other. Sometimes we're even called to suffer. Because we're followers of Jesus. It's interesting that while our recent Royal Commission, well, I think it's still going on, examining the extent of fraud and corruption in our banks and in our financial institutions, our leaders are now calling for values to be restored in the workplace. Question, how does that work when our schools no longer allow the Bible to be read or taught in class. I can remember when I was here 100 years ago, I loved going down to the Basin School and just sitting on the front desk, talking to the kids, responding to their questions, reading Bible stories with it. What harm is there in doing that? There may even be a bit of good. And the contradictory thing is that in our state, and I think across our country, we deplore the fact that values in the workplace are not what they used to be. Where will our children learn values which will strengthen them into becoming robust citizens in the future? I was pleased when, a number of years ago, our son, after finishing his business accounting degree, was encouraged by his employer, um, Toll Transport, to go on and study for his graduate qualification to become a certified practicing accountant. I remember him telling me that the first unit that he had to study, and it took him three years to do it part-time, was ethics and governance. And I thought I was teaching ethics to our year 11 students at Kilvington at the time, and I said we're going to have some good conversations together about that. And I got onto the web, onto the internet the other day, just to see whether the um, association, whether the um, Certified Practising Asso- Accountants Association, is still running that unit in its course. And sure enough, it's the very first unit that graduate accountants are expected to do in their CPA graduate um, studies. Ethics and governance. You just hope that sometime some of that wisdom might trickle down and be applied in the workplace, don't you? Well, friends, there we are. Submit yourselves as a Christian where you study and where you work. The third little section in our scripture this morning is one of those beautiful little gems which Peter weaves into his letters quite frequently, this beautiful reminder that in all of our journey with Jesus, we do this because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us as the Son of God, the Saviour of the world, the Christ who is put to death on the cross. Listen to these beautiful words about Jesus. These may be words that someone here this morning has not yet accepted as truth and experience for yourselves. Friends, this is the core of the gospel. We don't become Christians by being good citizens at work, by submitting to leaders in our society, that all flows out of the fact that we are already committed to following Jesus, the one who died on the cross and the one who was raised miraculously by the power of God. Here's the gospel Jesus Himself bore our sins, yours and mine, in His body on the tree. So that we might die to sin, have nothing more to do with it and live for righteousness. Live on a higher plane from those around us for by his wounds, his suffering, you've been healed. And listen to this beautiful verse. For you once were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Friends, is that true for you this morning? There's an invitation, not just to come once to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls, but to come continually, every day, Every morning, because who of us knows what the day is going to bring to return every morning to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls? Friends, if you haven't experienced that in your life and in your journey, you're missing out on the truth of the gospel. You're missing out on a strength and an energy and an inspiration and a joy and a sense of peace and a hope that Jesus is waiting to give to you. Here's the gospel. For you once were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Beautiful words of truth. Friends, accept them as truth rich in meaning. And if there's someone here this morning who hasn't discovered the truth of these words, there couldn't be a better place than being in church at Killside South Baptist Church than to say, yes, that's what I've been looking for. That's what I need. Come and speak to one of the leaders. Speak to me, one of the, the deacons, before you go. Come over into the prayer room and, so that we can pray with you. I'm tempted to finish there, but I just need to remind you of that last little section about submission. It's a bit of a tricky one. Let me just have a go at it for a moment. Submission, respect and love within the family. From a cursory reading of this, it would seem as though it's a little imbalanced that wives are expected to submit to their husbands, but husbands get off a bit more easily. Friends, it's nothing like that at all. This scripture quite clearly is being addressed by Peter to men who are not believers, but they have a wife who is a believer. And in these early New Testament times, that was not an infrequent occurrence. When men were too busy to think about stuff like that, the women had more time and being exposed to preachers and Christian communities, many more women became believers and followers of Jesus at this time than men did. And that threw up complex issues in, in the marriage relationship. And so Peter is writing to the, the husbands and wives and remind, reminding the wives that it will be better in the long run if they learn to submit to their husbands and to display their beauty as a Christian through the, the inner transparency of who they are in Christ. Christ. But at the same time, husbands, in the same way, are to be considerate as you live with your wives. So there was this little complex situation. Non-believing husbands, a believing wife. How does that relationship work out? Well, Paul throws a bit more light on it. You'll be familiar with what Paul writes about Marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul uses this word submission. In our our New International Versions, the section in Ephesians chapter 5 about marriage starts at about whatever verse it is. Um, Let me just check for you. Starts at verse 22. Wives, submit to, to your husbands. But in actual fact, that section should start a verse earlier where Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul uses the submission word equally applying to husband and wife. So, husbands, don't you go home today and gloat over your wives and say, Oh, I've got an edge over you. That's not true at all. Husbands and wives submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. And this isn't a place to do a long exposition on Christian marriage and family life and so on, but let me just say that there are beautiful words that come out of this context this morning to be applied into the family scene, like mutual submission to each other. And I'd like to include the children in that so that Paul... In Ephesians, we're speaking to the family unit. Husbands and wives, fathers and children. And what a beautiful thing it would be to see parents being a bit more submissive to the needs of their growing children. I fear that in many families these days, children's growing needs are being neglected by parents who are pursuing their own self-centred journey through life and employment and climbing the tree of success. It's easy for children to find their own self-entertainment using a screen or some uh, some other device or getting fully involved in sport during the week, which is a good thing. But there's a responsibility for parents, particularly Christian parents, to submit to the needs of the growing stages of childhood and adolescence. We know in our houses, as our children grow and get older, very often we need to move to a different house or we need to add on a room to accommodate the needs of a growing family. And I believe that parents have that responsibility to submit to the growing needs of children as they progress through childhood, as they go through puberty and adolescence, preparing for adulthood. And Fred, let me say that in the church scene, this again is a very complex issue because you wonderful people, parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and friends are endeavouring to mentor children growing up in a Christian environment in a community which is increasingly uninterested and even at times antagonistic to Christian truth and Christian experience. And I believe in a church family, we need to be caring for our parents, encouraging parents and families mentoring parents and families and building into the life of the church experiences which will strengthen family life. You can see that's a passion of mine, particularly as I see our own little grandchildren growing up. What a privilege to live in a family where parents love and care For their children as so many of you i'm not suggesting that's not the case i'm just reminding all of us that it's a need and a challenge isn't that true that we all face in this day and age and what better place than our local church family to be being proactive in supporting parents and grandparents who have the joy and the privilege of guiding young lives friends i must finish And I've got a story to read to you because as I was reading this section on wives and husbands and in this case non-believing husbands being married to um, Christian wives I thought of the story of Lee Strobel I've read a number of Lee Strobel's books Um, in a previous career he was the Um, celebrated um, editor of the Chicago Tribune with a master's degree in law and a degree in um, uh, um, journalism, something like that. And he rose to the top um, at the Chicago Tribune, one of the world's leading um, newspapers, by the way. And he and his wife had friends who attended Bill Hybel's church, Um, in, what's it called now, Bill Hybels Church? Forgotten. Willow Creek. And these friends invited Lee Hybels and his wife to come along to a service sometime. And Lee Hybels wasn't particularly interested. He didn't think it was a man's thing to do, but he said to his wife, you go along if you'd like to. So she went along to some women's event and was very, very impressed with the quality of the of the presentation and a friend invited her to come to a service well she went one Sunday was blown away by the 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 presentation it was sensible it was clear she could understand it there were no robes they didn't swing little burning um, uh, things with smoke and so on she came back and told her husband about it and he said well that's fine for you if you want to do that you go so she went a few times and she became a christian Let me me read you the story. Lee Strobel has written it far better than I can tell. Lee Strobel was a sceptical atheist who thought the idea of God was stupid. Lee used his journalism and legal training to to investigate the evidence of Christianity. He says, For most of my life, I was an atheist. I thought the idea of an all-loving all-powerful, creator of the universe, I thought that was stupid. I mean, my background is in journalism and law. I tend to tend to be a sceptical person. I was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, so I needed evidence before I'd believe anything. One day my wife came up to me. She'd been an agnostic. She said after a period of spiritual investigation, She'd decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I thought, you know, this is the worst possible news I could get. I thought she was going to turn into some sexually repressed prude who was going to spend all the time serving the poor in Skid Row somewhere. I thought this was the end of our marriage. But in the ensuing months, I saw positive changes in her values, in her character in the way she related to me and the children. It was winsome and it was attractive and it made me want to check things out. So I went to church one day, uh, mainly to see if I could get her out of this cult that she'd gotten involved in. But I heard the message of Jesus articulated for the first time in a way that I could understand it, that forgiveness is a free gift that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we might spend eternity with him. And I walked out saying, I was still an atheist, but also saying, if this is true, this has huge implications for my life. And so I used my journalism training and legal training to begin an investigation into whether there was any credibility to Christianity or to any other world faith system for that matter. I did that for a year and nine months until November the 8th, 1991. And on that day, I realised that in the light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Because to be an atheist, I'd have to swim upstream against this torrent of evidence pointing towards the truth of Jesus Christ. I couldn't do it. I was trained in journalism and law to respond to truth. So on that day, I received Jesus Christ as my forgiver and my leader. And just like with my wife, my life began to change. Over time, my values, my character, the purpose of my life began to transform over time in a way that, as I look back, I can't imagine staying on the path I was on compared to the adventure and the fulfilment and the joy following Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great story? Is that true for you this morning as well? Let's pray, shall we? Our loving Father, you are so patient with us. You've challenged us afresh this morning from your word to be informed, obedient, willing servants of Jesus. You've reminded us again that Your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, still lives as the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Father, we are so blessed by your love. And we pray that you will warm our spirits. Send us into this new week with deep, profound joy. For all that you've done for us and for all that you want to achieve in the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.